You've found the Sassy Sales Leadership Podcast, the place for anyone who works at a tech company from startup to scale up. Where we help you get ahead of the trends that affect your work and life so you can make better decisions about how to spend your time and money. I'm Matt Cameron. And I'm Sam Arnold. And today we're talking about what the bleeding edge technology companies are doing to address the needs of a hybrid workplace. And Sam, some cool new tech to support it. But first, we're going to talk about some insane trends in compensation packages that are happening in tech right now. Sam, tell me more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is an interesting topic. You often read about insane compensation packages among C-level leadership, especially CEOs, right? And headlines you'll see, such so-and-so CEO is making however many billions of dollars. And, and oftentimes when you look under the hood, it's not really that they're getting billions of dollars in cash or even millions in cash. They're getting big stock payouts, right? Big, big equity grants and so on. You probably know a lot more about that than I do. But what's interesting, I think, is not the story about how CEOs and even executives are getting compensated, but how much just regular employees are getting, you know, talking like low level, mid-level, high level, everyone in tech right now, according to news stories I'm reading, are getting salaries and compensation packages and uh, RSUs and, you know, stock grants and so on. And it, it's just, they're, they're dealing with these windfalls. I mean, people that are, are making uh, six figure, like deep six figure uh, compensation packages, seven figures. And, you know, it's just crazy right now. And I saw a couple of interesting stats around this. First of all, did you know that the five biggest tech companies constitute 5% of GDP? Is that surprising to you? Not surprised. Not surprised when I think about Amazon and the unbelievable uh, growth, the earnings release that were done last week. It just blows my mind. You think, yeah, Google, Amazon, the, these companies have really thrived uh, over the past 12 months for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, boy, I, I really, I think everyone wants to be a part of these companies that hit these sort of windfall growth trajectories, and then they can actually afford a house in the Bay Area. I actually talked to a CTO earlier today who was telling me about this problem from the employer's perspective. He was saying that like the, the growth in pay for engineers in particular, which is what he cares about, obviously, as a CTO, is increasing almost daily. Like he told me that the, the cap tables that they came up with um, literally a month ago are no longer relevant. They just keep having to bump it up. Um, add to that the fact that people are getting really antsy and they're starting to anticipate a lot of mass quittings. Have you heard about this? The sense that, and there's been different news articles about this, but it's interesting to hear from like one, one CTO's perspective. There's a, a kind of musical chairs that's about to happen where as the economy reopens, as people are getting vaccinated, as the market opens up and people feel free to travel and move around, there's a big fear right now that a lot of talent is about to quit and go get a fresh start somewhere else just because there's so much emotional baggage now tied to the employer they've had for the last year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. In fact, um, I heard of a case yesterday uh, where someone who was a, a frontline manager uh, earning, um, call it uh, 150 um a little, little bit more, um, in sales, uh, got a $100,000 bump offer from somebody else. And I'm not talking AE manager, I'm talking 
SDR, Sales Development Managers. So we're talking big coin um, with uh, and a title bump too. So going from being a frontline manager to a manager of managers at a different company, which is always a risk. So you're taking an unproven quantity, but the market is so desperate for talent right now that they're giving me, and it came with a, a significant signing bonus, right? So these are frothy, frothy times. And so probably, you know, we could look at it from the employer's angle, but actually, Sam, I'd be interested in your perspective on this from an individual contributor's perspective. Because when I was hiring reps and managers and whatnot, you know, we always talk about the job hopper, right? The person bouncing around. But I've always been somebody who's thought about my career as a portfolio career and, you know, um, and moving around sort of more of a more of a person who's project oriented, you know, let's achieve this milestone and then move on. And I think now that's more and more how people are thinking about it. Um, and so the question is, if you're offered a significant salary bump and you've been with a company, you say 18 months or a year, do you take it? What does that look like? How does that impact you three years down the line? Have you got a perspective on that? Yeah, well, as a chronic job hopper myself, some might say, <laughs> like I've never worked anywhere for you know the five, six years that I think uh, is, is ideal in a lot of people's minds. And I've always had the same perspective. You know, it's there's always a weighing of pros and cons with anything. Everyone always wants the best for themselves. Employers want the best employees. Employees want the best employers. You know, employers want to pay the least for the best talent and employees are on the other side. I don't know. I definitely have detected a, a change in spirit, at least among like the salespeople that I work with. It doesn't feel that having shorter stints at companies is the moral failure that it was once described as. Uh, and, you know, I don't really know as far as like being able to, to stay long enough to take a pay bump. It's a trope, right? Like you'll, you'll never get a raise as big as uh, it was saying in one company as you will for going to another company. And I don't really know what exactly is to blame for that. Maybe it's partly psychology, People are always willing to pay more for something that could be much better, like a lottery ticket in the form of another hire from another company, as opposed to the uh, the sure bet that they have. They've come to learn over the years and they know they've mm -hmm. seen their failures and foibles and they can no longer put them on a pedestal. Maybe that has something to do with it. Well, but, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you what, mate. It's been my observation for twenty years, uh, and I did it early in my career. Uh, you will never get it as promoted as quickly from a um, from well, not promoted. You won't get an income bump as quickly as you will by jumping around because you've you're anchored. Think of it from a psychological negotiation standpoint. They've anchored at your current salary, and you've got to fight your way up from there. But when you go out, you know, uh, and legally, no one can ask what your, your previous W-2 was. You can set your market price. And in a situation where we find ourselves today, where the market is tight for talent, you can get significant raises, right? And then if you perform, uh, you can probably get that, that title bump as well. Uh, so my advice, if I was talking to a young person right now, and a lot of the folks that, that, that I work with right now would be like, Matt, shut the hell up. But the reality is, if I'm a young person, I'm doing that right now in this market. I'm, I'm taking that opportunity. Now, for the employers out there, people are like, well, should I counter? And the, the, the statistics is clear. The data is clear. You never counter offer because you'll keep them, but you'll keep them for less than 12 months in almost every 
situation. There's always someone willing to pay more money. And if they've made up their mind to go, let them go, uh, unless you need them there to finish a project or something like that. And then we all know what's going to happen at the end of that. But goodness me, look, if I think back a long, long time ago, just to give you some real data from me as a kid, you know, I was on, I was 21 years old on $21,000 salary at Hewlett Packard, right? And they offered me a $30,000 salary for a role that someone else was doing for 50, right? Because of my age. And I was like, screw you. I think I was a, I was, I was a, a Gen Z well ahead of my time. Um, this is 1994, by the way, for those of you following along. My next job, so after a year, I went from 21 to $60,000. So I tripled my salary by going somewhere else. I was there for two years and then I went to $90,000. I was there for two years and then I went to a, a base salary of 150K with an on target of 300. Wow, that's impressive. That's an impressive trajectory, I think, for any era, but especially in that time before these, these crazy times we're in now. And uh, I, yeah, I, I, I imagine I, what it's like now. I, yeah, I got lucky. But the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that, you know, you control it you know, bump, bump, bump. And I think that's what you're seeing. And the stock stuff, that's stressing, right? Because you think of the early employees who were there who took their stock grants. As you know, Sam, you get very little top up, right? It, 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 there's, it's marginal. The, the first grant you get at a company, you should negotiate hard for because that's the biggest grant you'll ever get. And so to your point about the CTO and cap tables, if they're adjusting cap tables, that probably means dilution at some point. They're having to widen the options pool, make it bigger, to pay more uh, or grant more options to these new employees. And that just dilutes everybody else who's already in the company. I have to wonder too, I mean, there's always so much you can pay people and there's always so competitive you can be with other employers on the basis of pay. At a certain point, an additional 10 grand or something is not going to be very appealing. I'm looking to see what technology employers are going to start providing in terms of perks. I've seen a couple of things. They seem to be reeling back a lot of the superficial kinds of perks that you were once used to, you know, lunches, um, you know, massages, things like this. I'm seeing more meaningful perks like being able to work from anywhere is the obvious one. Maybe four day work week, right? Might be a big perk that comes in. I can imagine more. Um, you know, yeah, one I, 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 100%. I see that uh, happening as a trend. And I want to talk about that. There's some interesting stuff going on at Google. But speaking of, speaking of a perk that's not going to be coming anytime soon is psychedelics at work, Sam. That's something I want to talk about. So for those who are paying attention, um, a, a, uh, the Wall Street subreddit went crazy this week as um, MindMend, M-N-M-D listed, uh, which is a company that's throwing a ton of cash uh, at clinical trials around using uh, psychedelics to treat things from anxiety to ADHD to PTSD and all that good stuff. So uh, I thought a topical to chat about because we've seen in the press recently some quite high profile tech executives uh, who have uh, admitted uh, to, to microdosing. Uh, uh, during work time and whatnot, LSD and other, other, other things, and probably many, many more who do it and don't admit to it, Sam. But the topic of the day for me is this. It's not so much whether or not we should be investing in mind men, but um, for the sake of uh, background, I believe that the, the psychedelics treatments will inevitably go mainstream uh, under clinical, clinical control and others. But the question I have, and I'd like to chat to you about, Sam, is to what extent, um, you know, is it okay or does it make sense for executives at companies to disclose their use when you know that um, it's illegal right now everywhere in the United States? Like, how does that work? What do you think? 
Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, there's certain things that are looked down upon or, or looked at differently that are illegal than other things. I, don't, I can't imagine a CEO getting fired from even a company that's based in a state where pot is still illegal. I say pot like I'm some kind of boomer soccer mom. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, weed, marijuana, whatever you call it, you kids today with your TikToks. But, you know, I can't imagine like, like a CEO getting canned, even at, at like a, you know, middle of Alabama or something for that matter. Like maybe um, I could say Alabama because I'm from there. But obviously LSD is a little bit different. I think CEOs are also a little bit different. They have a fiduciary responsibility. So, you know, if you're trying to represent that your numbers are accurate or that you're, you know, you handle a crisis very well and it's, it's never really, you never really know, like if there's some crisis or some problem that happens in your company like would someone else in this position have done better so you have to do your best to put people in in, in charge of the ship so to speak who are gonna you know make the best decisions to the best of their ability and if you let's say this person was still at the company the board was fine with this micro dosing of lsd which it's supposed to be a level of, of lsd for anybody's listening who's not familiar with the term micro dosing it's like a level that's not enough to actually make any kind of significant, uh, you know, cognitive impact, supposedly, like it doesn't make them see visuals. It doesn't make them high. Supposedly it's just underneath the threshold to where all it does is, is very mild, uh, creative effects. The, the claim is anyway, but yeah, I, would you be thinking of it as micro dosing? If there was some kind of, you know, they missed a couple quarters in a row, maybe they make a bad strategic decision. I mean, I think if anyone who admits that they've been microdosing is really opening themselves up to uh, to being blamed for for anything negative that happens at the company, even if the board were were okay with it, you know. I got two, I got two words for you, Sam. Burning man. So, like you know, when I first came to the states uh, over a decade ago, you know, that was a relatively new thing to me, and and I found out that everybody, uh, when and when I say everybody, I mean the spectrum of people that attends Burning Man is very wide, and some very very high profile CEOs and tech luminaries go to Burning Man, and you know, to tell me that they go to Burning Man and don't partake of the psychedelic or uh, other uh, activities is, I think, um, ridiculous, uh, and and yet and yet it's accepted. So it's for me, it's it, it's it's interesting, you know, it's like, it's a real challenge. Uh, and I guess, you know, takeaway for me is, you know, for anyone who um, has a role where you have fiduciary responsibility or people management responsibility, um, it's it's a, a fort line to walk, I think, uh, to bring that side of yourself to work because people are going to ask questions. Now, should you be able to? In my opinion, hell yeah. I think so. I think that you should be able to say, yeah, hey, on the weekends, uh, you know, this is what I do. Um, you, sh you know, uh, it's not, a, I don't think it's a political statement. I don't think that it's, you know, um, whatever. But the reality is, if I'm completely honest with you, if you said to me, oh man, I had a huge banner on the weekend, I got so messed up, blah, blah, blah. And you're turning up Monday morning in a senior leadership team meeting. I am going to look at you sideways. I'll be honest. Yeah, there's something to be said for, uh, I mean, people who say that they're totally fine with their manager, CEO, microdosing, would you be just as fine with your doctor or surgeon microdosing? Good what about point. your, what about your pilot? <laughs> the captain comes on is like, hi, everyone. Uh, welcome. Thank you for coming to uh, Delta airlines. I just, uh, been microdosing LSD. I'm very, I've been a very creative, very, 
very controlled mindset right now. I'm excited to go on this journey with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, well, you know what? I've decided we're not going to go to Oakland, California. We're going to go to Auckland, New Zealand, because it sounds similar. Let's do this thing. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a pretty good point. Um, so speaking, speaking of interesting visuals, uh, Sam, did you see uh, the new high-tech solution that Google is looking to take to their uh, to the new hybrid work environment? Oh, I did. I did. I saw the New York Times article with the animated GIFs and everything. It is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is fun. So for those of you who haven't seen it, um, Google is focusing on three work trends. And they're saying, look, work happens anywhere, right? Not just in the office. Uh, and so what work, what people need in their workplace is going to change constantly. We, they can't really predict it. So it needs to be more than just desks, meeting rooms, and, and stuff that goes around it. And, and the two things they're trying to solve for that are most rigid and difficult to, to fix are the walls that surround us, right? How do you have flexible design, flexible spaces, whatever else? And then kind of the personal comfort systems, like heating and cooling systems. And, um, and <laughs> I know, Sam, you've, you've, you've had a look at this. Uh, and one of, one of your favorite things, I think, is the inflatable, movable wall. Uh, what did you think of that? Oh, yeah, this is great. If, if anyone listening hasn't seen the New York Times article, you should look it up. Just type in like New York Times, Google's plan for the future of work. And uh, midways down the article is a little animated uh, image of this inflatable wall, which I just, it's, it's straight out of this, like a Silicon Valley episode. I cannot wait to see the jokes about this thing. So it, it's like an accord, like a little standing box that when triggered by some mechanism, probably by some, uh, you know, some kind of software mechanism, it expands and something that looks like a space blanket uh, or really like pillows made of space blanket material, slowly inflate. I'm guessing this is like the early alpha version of this inflatable wall. It looks like it takes about about five minutes to sit there and and, uh, and inflate, but it, it constructs this dividing wall that looks to be about maybe, I don't know, seven, eight feet tall uh, in between these two uh, women working at a desk in this uh, otherwise open plan office space. And Sam, uh, don't good you Lord. think this is the ultimate passive aggressors of move? Uh, like in my mind, the analog is you're talking at me through my car window and very slowly as I'm looking at you without breaking eye contact, I raise my window to close you off. Like I That's just, right. Do you know what I mean? Like It's like the ultimate power move. You just hit the button on your desk and the wall comes across. It's like, you know what? I don't need any more of you today, Sam. I'm just yeah, exactly. I can imagine that it's kind of like the equivalent of like you have being in a limo or something and having a driver. You've seen a lot of these gags where like the passenger in the back just sort of scoots up the window when they're done talking to the driver. I can imagine the same thing happening in, in offices. And then you end up having, like, I just, it, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, look, it's cool. I understand what they're trying to solve for. I think they're trying to solve for a couple of things. One being open office plans are not private. And I think people have really grown accustomed to working in the privacy of their own homes. Mm -hmm. And they're not maybe as comfortable now coming back and being elbow to elbow with colleagues as they try to conduct their days. So it's a hard problem. I've never liked it. I've never liked open plan and being in the go-to-market sales side of things. Uh, you know, I think people are just ignoring the elephant in the room. And the fact is that every time someone wants to make a, a proper phone call, they all fight for a private phone booth. Like why is no one, yeah, People have never been talking about that because it's so cool to have open plan. You know what? I freaking hate it. I think that people need their own space. Uh, and uh, so I'll be interested to see how Google goes with this. 
Um, but one of the things I think they're solving for quite well is that they're going to have this sort of hybrid work from home. Um, and uh, but actually, it makes a lot of sense. I, I saw that they're saving over a billion dollars a year with work from home right now. I mean, that is amazing. Uh, and on top of that, about $270 million less in expenses um, relating to travel, entertainment, all those sorts of things that you'd otherwise do. So, But the problem is, um, as many people may have figured out, is that if I'm not in the office regularly, I'm missing out on serendipitous relationship building. Uh, you know, if you're dialing into a meeting, your voice is not heard as much. So what Google's done is they've kind of created these curved walls where you've got these big screens. Uh, and so there'll be me sitting here next to me is a screen. And then there's Sam sitting on the other side uh, with a kind of a 360 camera in the middle so that the, the other people can be part of the conversation. It's going to go some way toward it. But the real thing I think people should be thinking about is, can you progress as well as you might like? Would you get access to the projects you want to work on, the opportunities, the territories, whatever it happens to be? If you are primarily work from home, what do you think, Sam? Yeah. Well, something similar happened to me recently. I was like looking at my uh, team's calendars on Google Calendar to find a meeting slot. And I saw a bunch of them were on a on a team dinner. And I was like, well, what? <laughs> I looked and it turned out there's a bunch of people that just happened to be in New York at the same time for different reasons. I think it's a lot of it is because everyone's getting vaccinated and everyone's looking to travel. And if you're in San Francisco, what's the other big city to go to? Of course, it's New York. So a lot of people decided to go out there, but it sort of was a, a serendipitous uh, situation for them that arrived organically. But now I am like one of the people <laughs> who is not in New York and I'm getting a little taste of what it's going to be like for those uh, individuals who choose to stay home instead of going into the office. And let me tell you, you know, despite knowing all of the details, I know it wasn't that I was actually actively excluded, but I'm, I mean, everybody on my team is going to be there with my boss and, and, uh, and I'm not going to be there. Boy, it really makes me just want to hop a flight and, uh, and go there myself because, like, uh, you know, you want to be a part of those moments. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And so we might have to have a chat about that. When you say not actively exclude, no, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but hundred <laughs> percent. So for those of you thinking that working from home uh, is, you know, four days a week is going to be your thing, maybe popping once a week, there are some um, perhaps unanticipated consequences of doing so around uh, key relationships you need to build. Um, whether or not you enjoy it or not, in terms of the social aspect of work, it's really critical to getting ahead uh, and getting access to those opportunities. But now we are going to do our favorite thing every week, which is, that's right, time for Sam's hot new tech of the week. Sam, what have you got that's related to hybrid working and other innovative ways of thinking about the workspace? You know, everyone's trying to solve this problem in different ways. I think we've even talked about some of uh, variations on this technology in, in a previous episode. But this time I want to talk about Spot. Spot, you can find it at spot.xyz. It's created by the founder of Outreach. And it's kind of like a Sims style virtual office platform. So you can imagine if you've played The Sims, uh, you know, you have like the kind of top down uh, view of this 3D building. Um, and you have a little character, a little avatar. It's almost kind of Wii like. It's a little bit cartoony, kind of like Wii Sports or, you know, something like that. And you have uh, the ability to, to go into this virtual environment, meet with your coworkers, sit on chairs, sit in different rooms, 
uh, look at presentations together. You can turn on your camera and your microphone. So when you turn your camera on, it replaces your avatar with a little circle uh, video feed of your webcam. And it's designed to try to help solve this problem. I mean, you've seen other variations from people like Second Life. Second Life obviously has been around for years and years, but they actually made a landing page last year to promote the use of Second Life. Second Life is almost like a, you can imagine like a, like a not fantasy-based uh, World of Warcraft or something. It's this big open world. It's extremely customizable. Um, it's been around for a long time, like I mentioned, but Second Life was trying to promote itself as a business platform starting last year. Kind of wonder how successful that's been. I wasn't really able to find it. Um, there've been other uh, startups as well uh, in this space. I guess I'm wondering a couple of things, Matt. This is something that you've been experimenting too as well on your platform. Um, what do you think is gonna be the deciding factor? Is there going to be a winner? Are we gonna end up uh, conducting business on these virtual world platforms or is this a passing fad? Yeah, I, I think they're going to stay, and I don't think it's winner-take-all. Uh, what I do think, though, is that there are going to be sort of uh, interface-based standards that people have to adopt so that it feels familiar whichever platform you go into, right? That is the issue. And so it's so funny you bring up Second Life because that has been around a really long time. And I remember going to an insurance company innovation uh, fair back in like 2000, and I'll get it slightly wrong, but roughly 2008 or something. Um, and Second Life then was um, selling uh, virtual property and companies like Nike and Reebok and Adidas and whatever else were buying virtual stores where people could go in and literally buy shoes online now we're like yeah of course we do that all the time on amazon or whatever but back then it wasn't e-commerce wasn't done that way so they created virtual stores and they were pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into creating beautiful second life store experiences um but here's the thing like um young folks who who are gamers will totally get it and they'll be able to run around and do their thing. But I had a very funny story the other day as we were talking about these platforms and this woman explained to me that she went to an event where she was meant to meet somebody. And I think we may have even touched on it one time because it was such a funny story already where she got stuck behind a flower pot and couldn't figure out how to get around it and missed the meeting. Oh my like, God. In the virtual world. In the virtual world. Like, you know, so now that, so th this woman was, you know, uh, probably uh, more of my uh, uh, vintage. Uh, and we just don't know how to use these systems, right? And I'm not saying uh, I don't want to be ageist about it, but the reality is I didn't grow up digital native, right? And, and uh, these things come harder to me. So, you know, in our world, what we're doing at Sassy is we have a 2D environment where you literally just, you know, drag your face around a screen with, with very beautiful. 3D looking backgrounds, but what we didn't want is someone to get stuck behind a flower pot. So I think, I think to answer your question, uh, these things are going to proliferate. They have been around for a long time, but they, the, the, the acceleration um, of, of the last 12 months in terms of the adoption of new things really will impact this space. Um, we're all going to want something like that, but I think it being too uh, clever as it will, as you were, you know, is, is going to break it for a lot of people because I just want to turn up, you know, that I know how to run Zoom, right? I know how to use Google Meet. Like it's not too hard to make the jump and it has to be close enough, I think. It's true. I agree. I think things just need to be easy and frictionless. Uh, the way I describe it, I, I think about this when I send people emails. 
for example, especially like cold sales emails and things like this. A point that I often try to make to, to more junior salespeople is emails have to be very, very simple and to the point. You basically have to discount the reader's IQ by like 50%. Okay, because that's effectively what happens when you are quickly trying to clear your inbox, you're quickly scanning, you're trying to jump from meeting to meeting, your IQ is effectively like half of what it otherwise would be. You're not absorbing the same amount of information or processing it in the same way. And I think the complexity of these virtual platforms is going to be subject to the same effects. So if somebody can come up with one that's a, it's a click of a button, you jump right in, it's intuitive, you get to where you want to be. And also the experience, I think, I wonder as well, and maybe we could kind of end with this. I'm curious in your thoughts on this. So the spot platform is, I mentioned it's kind of cartoony, right? It's like, and then there's other platforms that are more 2D that are straight up look like video games. Second Life, I think I would consider in that category too. Can a business platform be something that is whimsical? Are we going to, maybe this technology is not going to take off until... There's some more, I don't know, serious looking platform. Uh, but what do you think? Do you think that even factors in? Maybe people will just adjust. I guess the branding for Zoom could be considered maybe a little bit whimsical, but I don't know. It's still very serious compared to navigating a 3D avatar through a Sims-like environment. You know, It's part of your corporate brand. If you and I are sitting here talking about making a $100,000 investment and I turn up into what looks like Legoland, I'm not taking you serious, right? So yeah, I think I think it does matter, uh, and I think that um, uh, any sort of virtual environment will need to be customized and branded uh, to the company that's hosting the meeting. That's what they're going to want to do, um, and they're going to not want it to feel like if it is an environment, they want it to feel unique uh, and on brand. Um, so that, that's what I think. So. Anyway, there you go. Well, to your point, this is probably a good uh, spot to round things out. So let's wrap it up for this week. Sam, have a great weekend. I'll look forward to chatting to you soon. Thank you, Matt. You too. And if anyone listening has gotten a sales email from me, I know your IQ is low in the moment, but please, for the love of God, will you please reply? Thank you.